you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. We are continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We're almost finished, almost finished. I think once we finish with this, we'll start back over at uh, Matthew chapter 5 and we'll just do it all over again. I'm kidding. Um, we're coming to the close of this very famous sermon, uh, perhaps maybe even one of the first sermons that Jesus preached. It's all about the kinds of people uh, that he wants in his kingdom and what he expects of us as kingdom disciples. And he is wrapping things up. He's bringing uh, it to a conclusion. Uh, He's not introducing new ideas, but he's giving to us and wrapping up uh, and concluding this whole sermon. So so like conclusions uh, do, he wraps up everything that he's kind of um, already given us the information about. And he's putting a nice little bow on his sermon. Uh, And so this morning... Uh, From Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 21 through 23, we're going to see that. Last week we saw uh, that Jesus talks about two trees and the fruit that they bear. Uh, Before that he talked about two paths. Today it's two confessions. He's drawing distinctions and he's saying you need to recognize these distinctions in the world. Uh, In his kingdom, for the present time, uh, there are going to be people who slip in. And we saw this uh, last week. And they're going to be false prophets. They're going to be ravenous wolves. We need to be careful for them and we're, we recognize how to see them. Well, today he's going to talk about the general population of his kingdom. Uh, what their confession is. And he's going to give us a distinction between those two uh, confessions. Last week he said, watch out for false teachers. And this week he gives a dire and drastic warning to his people in these words. One of the dangers that we saw last week was that, and, and we talked about it in Sunday school today, it's an often repeated theme that we have here, uh, the danger of believing that it's our fruit or our works that make us right before God. One of the things that we saw is that we should be, as gospel people, as people who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should be producing fruit. And Jesus says you are to expect good fruit from the gospel. And if you see thorns and thistles or or the bad fruit, then the gospel has not been at work in the heart of those individuals. Well, the danger is then to look at the fruit, to miss the point that Jesus Christ is the one who plants the tree, who makes a tree good, who then produces the fruit. And so that's one of the dangers that we saw last week. One of the things that I said last week and one of the things that I think Christ hints at is that what we believe is absolutely important. It's absolutely vital that we believe the right things and doctrine matters. Well, today, what Jesus is going to do, anticipating the thoughts of the people listening to a sermon, he's anticipating that, and he's going to then give a counter to that, as we're going to see uh, today. Let me read for us um, what Jesus says to us. We see the kernel, the, the the importance, the essential nature of the gospel in these words. Look at verse 21 of chapter 7. Hear God's good and kind word. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Pray that we would be encouraged 
this day by your word. That you would search our hearts and reveal our hearts to us. We pray, Father, that by your son's word, by the truth of your son's word, we would see his glory. That we would say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy great name be praised. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to look at this passage in three ways uh, today. Uh, First of all, I think in verse 21, Jesus addresses people who have good theology. So the first point is simply good theology. Secondly, Jesus addresses people who do good works. And that's in verse 22. And then thirdly, I think we see a good Savior. So first, good theology. Secondly, good works. And thirdly, a good Savior. First of all, good theology. Good doctrine. Here at the very beginning of this, Jesus tells us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven just by simply saying, Lord, Lord. Now what we tend to do is we tend to have categories in the church. And our categories look like this. We have good people and we have bad people. All right? The good people are the ones that get into Christ's kingdom. It's the good people that are allowed entry into Christ's kingdom. And, and the bad people, obviously, are not allowed into Christ's kingdom. And the hope for us, then, according to this mode of thought, is that we are the good people, that we are the ones that meet the qualifications and then that Jesus allows into the kingdom. Well, what we need to do, then, if we believe that good people get in and bad people are left out, what we need to do is ask, then, what is a good person? Now, what we tend to do when we say, what is a good person, we have a variety of ways to identify what a good person is. And Jesus gives us that identification here. The way that people tend to identify good is according to a certain set of categories or ideals. And he says, first and foremost, that what we tend to do, especially as Presbyterians, and I'm speaking to those of you who are Presbyterians, uh, all of you are in a Presbyterian church. So even if you're not technically a Presbyterian, you're in a Presbyterian church, so I'm speaking to you. What we tend to do is we tend to say that if you are a Presbyterian, then you are going to make sure you know and have good doctrine. You are going to know your theology. And that's what's most important. And I want you to see here that Jesus addresses Presbyterians like you and me. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the first group of good people, honestly, good people that Jesus says are barred from the kingdom. People who hold on to doctrine above anything else. What he's saying here is, Lord, Lord. What we tend to think is, oh, that's just a normal, kind of a very common means of address, but it's not a common means of address, especially in Christ's day. Uh, there actually are not very many examples of somebody who repeats, uh, repeat, repeats this sort of uh, title in either the New Testament or in the Old Testament. Uh, this is a very uncommon way of addressing someone. It's uncommon for two reasons. First of all, with the word that's used there, Lord. This is the Greek word kurios, and it's translated as Lord all through the Bible, and it essentially can tr- be translated as king. It's uncommon because you do not go around in Jesus' day, and we do not go around in our day calling people Lord or King. So obviously what we see here is this group of people who has good theology, they understand and they know that Jesus Christ is the Lord. They know that he is the King. 
All through the Old Testament. If you read through the Old Testament, you will see that word Lord in your English translations over and over and over. That is the word for Yahweh in, uh, from the, the Hebrew, and they bring it and just say Lord into the, into the English translations. And so what this person here is, they're saying they understand that all of the promises of the, New Te- or the Old Testament, everything from the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ as the Lord, as the Messiah who is going to come. So you understand that they understand their Old Testament. They have a great understanding of the Old Testament. So much so that they recognize that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the Messiah. They go to Bible studies. They open their word and they're reading it constantly. They're going and they're talking to people about what these things mean. And they know that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Secondly, you see um, the double use of this. Lord, Lord. I've said this many times, uh, and it's just something that I think is really neat. In Hebrew and in Semitic languages, they do not have uh, words that are emphatic. They do not have words that mean very or greatly or anything like that. They actually, when they want to make an emphatic use of a word, they double it. And so uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, when God says to Adam and Eve, when you, you will surely die, you know that language, he doesn't say surely die, he says you will die, die to make it emphatic that you will really die if you eat of the fruit that he doesn't command. And that is true all over the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. Um, You see it with Christ where he looks at Martha and what does he say to Martha? Martha, Martha. And we oftentimes read that as a a silent kind of a quiet Martha, Martha, when in fact it's probably a Martha, Martha, pay attention. It's very similar to when I would mess up, which rarely ever happened, and mom saying, Kelly, Wayne, Dotson. That sort of thing, the emphatic use of of the language there to get the attention. And so here you have people who know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and they are emphatic in their use of that. And they say, not only are you the Messiah, but you are emphatically the Messiah. Um, There's another place where this happens where uh, somebody is called not just, um, they don't use the, the word twice, but they use it three times, holy, holy, holy. That means that God is not just holy and holy, but he's really holy. He's separate and completely holy over everything else. And so you see that emphatic use over and over. So this is somebody that knows their Bible. They know and understand who Jesus Christ is. They have good theology. And they can say, Lord, Lord, and and claim who he is, knowing and having good theology. But the problem with it is, as Jesus says, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because good theology is not enough. Now, good theology is good. As a matter of fact, what I'm talking about now is, I hope, good theology. And it is a good thing to know and to believe, but having good theology is not enough. Because on the last day, Jesus tells us there are going to be good Presbyterians with all the doctrine that they have running around in their head that will be barred at the door. Because all they believe is that Jesus Christ is the Lord and it doesn't go any further from that. And you see here, they knew who Jesus was. That is scary stuff. These are some of the most terrifying words for any Presbyterian. That having good theology is not enough. It's important. We even said that last week. What you believe is absolutely important. But it's not merely having good theology that matters. That's the first point about good theology. Secondly, in verse 22... Jesus goes into good works. Because 
what you say is, all right, if good theology and what we believe isn't the most important thing, and, and it is very important, but just having good theology isn't the point, you say, well, then what gives me entry into the kingdom? And you go, aha, I know what it is. Because you continue reading verse 21, because I stopped reading, and you, you were smart enough to continue reading, and Jesus tells you how you get into the kingdom. He says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so you say, well, I know then what I need to do to get into heaven. I have to do the will of the Father. It's the ones who do the will of the Father that get into heaven. And so what we tend to do is we say, well, I know what the will of the Father is. It's to do what he has commanded me to do throughout the scriptures. And so we get busy doing all these great and wonderful things for Jesus. But what I want to say to you is, not so fast in the method of Lee Corso and College Game Day, if you're into that sort of thing. He says, not so fast, right? Don't go there just yet. Because then what Jesus does in verse 22 is he says, if you think it's about what you do, and that doing the will of the Father is what you do, he gives three examples of things that people do. Good works that people do that do not give them entry into the kingdom. What are those three things? Look at verse 22. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's the first thing. Secondly, and cast out demons in your name. And then thirdly, and do many mighty works. Some of your translations say miracles in your name. Here are three things that Jesus says, good things that people do. First of all, prophecy. What is prophecy? Well, it can mean looking forward into the future, predicting events. It can also mean, and more commonly, it has the meaning of preaching God's word. A prophet is one who takes God's word and delivers it to the people who need to hear it. Um, so that's a more general use of it. And what we see here is it's preaching, absolutely, but it's also witnessing to Jesus Christ. This is a good work that people do. And you're told all the time that if you just go out and you tell people about Jesus, then you're going to be okay. But here's what Jesus says, that there will be preachers, there will be preachers on that last day of judgment who stand before Jesus Christ who are barred from the door. And they were the preachers. They were the ones who studied God's word in order to preach sermons to other people. And God says that they will be barred from the door. And not only that, but again, the more general use is anyone who claims Christ and then testifies to Christ. They say, Lord, Lord, and they will be barred at the door. So it's not about prophesying about Jesus that gives you entry into the kingdom. What about casting out demons? Secondly, what does that mean? Well, we tend to think it as exercising demons. How do you exercise a demon? You're running on, on a treadmill for an hour. Um, sorry, that's just a corny joke. But uh, just to see if you're paying attention. But we tend to think of it as simply just casting out demons, just getting rid of demons. And that can have the meaning. Uh, but over and over, what we see in the New Testament is not just simply the casting out of demons and sending a demon out of an individual. Jesus does that over and over. But more generally speaking, this can mean fighting against the darkness of, uh, of the world and the dark and sinful things of the world. These are good things, okay? We have lots of people, and we are surrounded by people that believe doing the Father's will simply means going out and working against the darkness of the things in the world. And so there are people who right now, in the name of Christ, are fighting things like human trafficking, which is a terrible injustice. It's slavery, and it needs to be fought. And they are doing it, believing they do it in the name of the Lord. And Jesus says that on the last day that people who are doing that will come to him and say, didn't we do these great things? Didn't we fight against things like human trafficking? Didn't we fight to bring justice for those, the least of these among us? 
And Jesus will look at them and he will say, Get, depart from me, I never knew you. So it's not merely by fighting against the, the darkness of the world that gives us entry. And then lastly, he says, the mighty works. And again, this is translated as miracles in a lot of places. And it can very specifically mean supernatural works. Uh, but the word for mighty there is where we get the word for dynamite, dunamis. And it simply just means powerful things. And so again, you see people who are out in the world working and doing powerful things either by doing miracles or other very powerful things to fight against the evil of the world. And Jesus says, depart from me, those of you who do those things, because I never knew you. If you think that doing the will of the Father is according to what you do, and then that will give you entry into the kingdom, Jesus says, no, that that is not the grounds of your entry into the kingdom. So it's not about what you believe, first and foremost, about your good theology. Secondly, it's not about what you do that gives you entry into the kingdom. And Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? People doing good things, and yet they are deceived and they will not have entry into the kingdom. All right, so what does this mean? How do we have entry? We've gone through all the bad stuff. What does it mean for us? Well, we need to figure out a couple of things here. We need to figure out, first of all, what does it mean to do the will of the Father? If it's not according to necessarily primarily what we believe, or secondly, what we do, then what does it mean to do the will of the Father? Well, we need to kind of rephrase that in order to better understand that question. What does it mean by will? What does it mean by Uh, What does the word will mean? I think uh, another way to rephrase this question is, what is God the Father's desire? What does God the Father want most in this world? And what you can do is you can take a cursory view of the New Testament, uh, and and really the first four Gospels, or the, the, the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can just do a cursory examination of these books, and you can see what the will of the Father is. There are four episodes in the life of Christ in the gospel that really show forth um, what God's will is. And we see that in Christ in his baptism, Christ in his transfiguration, Christ in, in the cross, and then Christ in his resurrection. Those are the four events that all of the gospels uh, record and they give us an example of, and they basically match up word for word in a lot of those things about what's happening surrounding all of those things. And it's interesting to see because in all of those instances, God reveals what his will is in those moments. And what we see over and over and over is the Father's will is to glorify the Son. At his baptism, God the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. At his transfiguration, he says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then he adds, now listen to him. On the cross, we see that Jesus Christ is glorified by the Father in suffering for our sin. And then, obviously, the proof of it is in his resurrection. That God the Father raises his Son from the dead, proving and glorifying his Son for his hard work. What is the will of the Father? What is his desire? His desire is to glorify his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, what does that mean for us then? What is doing the will of God? It's simply this, glorifying Jesus Christ.
as God. The will of the Father should be our will as well. That means that Jesus Christ is preeminent in our lives. That means that Jesus Christ is the reason why we live. That means that everything in our lives is directed to him, it's for him, and it's about him. And the focus is not on us and what we're doing or what we believe. It's about him. And here's what you're going to do at this point. You're going to say, but wait a minute. Haven't all those people that Jesus is talking about here who want entry into the kingdom, haven't they done this for Jesus Christ? Look at verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? Didn't they do that? Didn't they make Christ preeminent? But what we see here is that these people did not make Christ preeminent. Their focus is not on Jesus Christ, not on his works. Their focus is on their works and what they do. And so they go to Jesus Christ and they say, look at all the good things that I've done for you. See, Jesus, it's not about you. It's about me and what I've done. Their focus isn't on Jesus Christ. And even though they call him Lord, Lord, what they truly believe is that they are their own Lord and that they can go to God and say, look, I've done this. You are in my debt. You must give me eternal life. And Jesus looks at them and says, depart from me. I never knew you. They glorified themselves instead of the Son. And that ultimately is what they hope is the ground of their salvation. What they do. What they have done for God. Not what God has done for them. Their testimony is, we did this. Look, on that day many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy? We is just the, the, the plural form of I. Did I not do this? Did I not do this? You can sense, hear the anger in their voice. I did all these great things for you. Now let me into your kingdom. And Jesus, his response is, depart from me. I never knew you. And he doesn't just say, depart from me, I never knew you. But look at the very end. He says, you workers of lawlessness. Not only were these people who were doing all these good things thinking that they were fulfilling the law. It wasn't just that. But Jesus actually says that in all their good works... They were working contrary to the law because the law points to Jesus Christ. And in doing all these good things, they were simply saying, look at me, I am my own Savior. I ultimately do not need Jesus. And ultimately, you see here the real reason why they're excluded. In the middle of verse 23, Jesus' declaration to them, I never knew you. Jesus says, I never knew you. This can mean a lot of things. Our basis, however, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ is not our knowledge of Jesus. Remember that first group, the people that had doctrine, they knew who Jesus was. The second group knew who Jesus was so much that they went on doing all kinds of good things. But Jesus says, I never knew you. Our basis for entry into the kingdom of heaven is Christ's knowledge of us. Not our knowledge, not our good work. Knowing here means intimacy, obviously. It's that old biblical form of knowledge. You know, he knows us that sort of way. Intimately, personally. It shows a relationship. It's very possible for us to be busy doing lots of things for Jesus, to know lots of things about him, only to find that he doesn't know us on the last day. Scary stuff. 
So I'm going to conclude by simply asking a few questions. Are you known by Christ? What a weird way to ask that question. Are you known by Jesus? And your response would be, well, I don't know. Ask him. Right? Are you known by Jesus? Um, this week, I met with a girl, sweet girl, and she um, was struggling with this question. How do I know that I'm saved? So we, what do we do? We talked about the basis of our salvation. It's the basis of, of your salvation. Are you saying, look at God, look at all these great, wonderful things that I'm doing for you. I'm really working hard. Is that your assurance? Is that what you run to? Is that what you are resting in, that you are a good person doing good things? If that's your assurance, it's faulty, it's not good. The good news to you and I is that it's not about us. It's about what Christ has done for us. Do you want to be known by Jesus? Well, here's the prayer that you pray. It's one found in the Psalms that David prayed. Search me, O Lord. Search me and know me. That is a prayer for Christians and non-Christians. If you're here and you're asking the question, am I known by God? Pray that prayer. Search me, Lord, and know me. What's going to come out of that? Your sin is going to be revealed to you. The dirtiness of your sin. Your disgusting and black heart. And Jesus says, I'm going to take that from you. And I'm going to give you my righteousness. My cleanliness. The good news of Jesus Christ. Search me and know me. That is a terrifying prayer. For the God of heaven and earth, earth to go into your soul, to creep in and to reveal and shine his light and show all the blackness that is there. It's a terrifying thing. But that's the true prayer of the Christian. Search me and know me, O Lord. If you want to be known by Christ, ask for that. What are you building your life on? Is it about you or is it about Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us an opportunity to rehearse again the gospel of Jesus Christ, his finished work on our behalf. I pray, Lord, that you would search us, that you would know us, that our assurance of salvation would not be in who we are, but in who you are, in your finished work. We pray this in Christ's name.